It's Sunday, and we get to meet here. You know, for some of you who are newer to our fellowship, you just might wonder a little bit about all these snowflakes, and and actually the air conditioning is going to come down to about 32 in just a few seconds, and I just thought I would prepare for it. We, We did forget to let you guys know this. But we're going to be talking a little bit about VBS in just a little bit. And we're just so grateful for the opportunity to be salt and light wherever we go. Well, this is quite ridiculous and also quite hot. And we're going to get rid of this really fast. But I am just really glad you're here today. Father's Day. You know, traditionally, Father's Day is the least attended Sunday in a church. And... It's kind of sad. I just got to be honest. Um, Dads are no more important than moms, but there is something about a culture when dads pull out. And they kind of let, uh, well, their own needs come before every other person's needs. And I so enjoy Josiah's heart and willingness to share... As a young man, really, um, he really thinks differently than most young dads. He does. I think all young dads would probably take that hour and a half break. I, I get that part. All right. But to be here committed and to hear God's word and to praise and to model and to have what is needed each day. So that you might be able to be the dad, be the person that God has called you to. It's amazing, and I'm grateful. You know, every Sunday we gather here to worship, and to sing, and to pray, and to serve, and to open His Word. We're teaching families to know, and obey, and enjoy Christ, so they can be salt and light. We're in the middle, well, near the end of a study we started 14 weeks ago. Or we've had 14 sessions. We've had a few breaks in there. But Peter is the author, and he's sharing with a group of kingdom patriots how to live as exiles, as temporary residents, as foreigners, as sojourners, so that we might be prepared for really what we call eternity or the next life. We started in the chapter 5 last week where Elder Peter, not Peter who is elderly, although he is that too, but Peter the elder, the church leader, kicked it in. The apostle talked directly to the elders right here at Cross Point Church, and we had them up on the screen. And the admonition, a couple thousand years later, said, care for that flock. Care for the flock. And then he spoke candidly to the non-elders or to the congregants or to everyone else and said, hey, accept your elders' authority. And we went into that and, and chatted. But the bottom line is he finished up his little admonition with an encouragement for everyone everyone, leaders, congregants, everyone, to clothe themselves with humility. 
this morning we're going to revisit verse 5 and dig into verses 6 and 7. I would like you, if you would, stand with me. And let's read off the screen together. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5, 6, and 7. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Father, we just thank you again for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and to worship and to adore our Heavenly Father. We ask you at this moment, God, though, that your spirit would be abundantly active, that it would teach us and convict us and We even pray for this pastor, Father, that everything that is said is said because you want it said. That there isn't anything distracting, but that we might be able to hear from you and that our souls would be strengthened because of your message of grace. Father, I think of some surrounding churches just right in our area. There's, there's churches all in this neighborhood are proclaiming good news today. I think a Chain of Lakes Community Church, and I think a Fox Lake Community Church. And we pray especially for these two. But Father, we pray for every church that is gathering today who is naming the name of Jesus and encouraging their flock, caring for them well. Would you, Father, be so active? Would you prepare us for, well, this week? If we need healing, we pray that that would happen. If we need encouragement, we ask for that. We love you, Lord, and look forward to what you're going to teach us today. In your name, amen. You can be seated. So Peter starts off in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 5. And he says, all of you, everyone, with God's help, dress yourself in humility as you relate to one another because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now, as I mentioned last week, and we're going to do just a little bit of review because you'll understand in just a second, actually, verses 6 and 7, that's one verse. And it's hard to break it up. And I just gave you just a little taste of it last week. But Peter starts off this section. And he says, hey, dress yourselves. Put this humility on. And in in Philippians chapter 2, we spent some time talking about what humbling ourselves looked like. And we saw that the definition was thinking of others as better than yourselves. Now, some of us react literally to that, and and maybe the word better is not the best word used here. It probably should be translated more important than yourself, all right? So what Peter really is saying is this, think of others more important, their needs, their scenarios, their situations, Think of others before you think of yourselves. That's what humility is. It says, take an interest in others. Now, 
the reason Paul says to do this is because if you don't, God will be your enemy. Whoa! Now again, some of us have more respect for God or less respect for God, but I'm pretty sure if I had everyone raise their hands and say, hey, how many want to go head-to-head with God? Now, I don't think there'd be a lot of hands. I mean, there's a lot of people you might like to spar with. There's a lot of people that as you look at the odds, and God is not one of those people. He says this, hey, you want to be selfish. You want to care only about you. You want to put yourself above everybody else. I want you to know I will be your enemy. Mm -hmm. That's enough to me. To say, that, that's a good thing. I don't think I want to do that. Just letting you know. But he says, have the same attitude as Jesus in Philippians 2. And the thing that I took away is that Jesus gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave. I, I can't even imagine that. I mean, we all deserve certain things, and especially as fathers today. Whoa, we deserve to be treated like kings, right? That's what every father's thinking. At least something, a little bit. Dove chocolate on your bed or something, I don't know. But, but really what Jesus is saying is that I modeled for you how we treat others. And even though I was or had all these divine attributes. I'm God. I'm choosing to put some of those aside so that I can become a servant. Blows your mind. Then Peter hammers this home some more. And that's why I thought we needed to just talk about it again. But in 1 Peter, verses 6 and 7, as I mentioned, it's one sentence. But I'd like to read it to you again. So humble yourselves under God's mighty power, under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. In almost all your translations, there's a period there. So it almost looks like there's two commands. But it isn't. He gives us actually two ways. And he says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares for you. Now, realistically, Peter says something twice and three times, and it should get our attention. Humility to God is a big deal. So humble yourselves, and the reason you humble yourself again, and this comes out in Peter's writings all over, He says, you do it, you do it because God said to do it. You make others a priority simply because God said it's right. Now, not one of us as we're growing up, or even now, when dad or mom give you a chore or a command. We don't want to call it that, but it's it's clean up your room. That's called a command. All right? Now, when we hear that, all right, there could be good reasons like, hey, we're having the whole family come over. Would you please help me out? It would be really great. 
But sometimes mom and dad are a little bit persnickety. And they'll say this. Uh, clean your room. Well, why do I have to clean my room? Because I'm your dad. That always is a great motivator, isn't it? Like all of a sudden they say, Oh, Father, you are my father. I am so glad. I am such a fortunate young man to be able to do this. I will clean my room right now. Hey, this never happened. Never happened in my house, anyway, you know. But every once in a while, we pull the dad card. We pull the authority card. Well, actually, God is pulling the authority card here. He just is. And we may react a little bit about that, but we're going to be talking a lot about our dad today. And honestly, if any dad can pull the dad card, God can do it. And he just says, hey, humble yourself because I said it. It's the best way you are going to enjoy life. If you treat others better than yourself, I am telling you, that is the pathway to life. Listen to me. I've showed you how to do it. Now do it. He is the sovereign one. He is the king. We don't get that. We don't understand this whole king thing. But he is the ultimate and perfect authority. We do what God asks, and he will lift you up or honor you at the right time. Now, some of us falsely read into this that it may happen during our lifetime. You know, God, if I honor you, I am sure I will be CEO of this company very soon. Maybe. Maybe they need a perfect servant leader. And maybe they need someone just like you, and maybe you'll have that opportunity. But my guess is, probably not. Not going to happen. But God says he will honor us. And if he is our good father, and if we understand that his timing is always best, then he will lift us up. That's the guarantee. That's the promise. The promise is someday you will be honored because you listen to God. Now, every one of us would love to have that on this side of eternity. But I'm just saying that may not happen. There's no promise there. Humbling yourself is hard because you're giving up control. But it's also hard because you're worried about you. Let me say that again. We all love control. We do. But if we really are being more concerned about other people, we're going to start thinking, who is going to take care of me? I mean, if I'm always, and you put it in, like, when are my needs going to be met? What's going on? But Peter reminds us that we can trust God God to take care of us when our focus is on others. We can trust God when we obey God. You don't have to worry, and that's why this is one sentence. Because you're trusting God to take care of you. God takes care of his kids, period. That's the promise. That's what you can take to the bank. Good fathers want to take care of their kids. I get it. Sometimes they do it poorly. 
Sometimes they enable them more. We just need wisdom every single day on how to parent our kids, our grandkids, our adult children. All the time. We need God. We are so dependent on God. But God cares for his kids. Now that's one of the benefits of being in God's family. You see, everybody can come into God's family by faith. We don't automatically just end up, we are not, this whole world, well, we've been created in God's image, but we're not part of God's family. We become part of God's family when we come to a place in our life when we recognize our sinfulness and we've been separated from God. He spread his arms and spilt his blood to pay for our debt so that we could call him Abba, Father. And one of the benefits of calling him Abba, Father, is that he will take care of you. Ultimately, our Heavenly Father makes a promise here. He will take care of you. He's our dad. He's our dad. Now again, we do need to respect God. And, and, and it isn't just something catch. Hey, Daddy-o up there, what's happening, man? I suppose if you lived in the 60s and you were a little bit, uh, you know, deprived of English, you could go there, you know? But how do we? Ah, oh, our, our Father who art in heaven, our Dad, how do we respect our Dad? Now, I got to be honest, Dad's day is a little bit hard because we all come from different backgrounds. Some of you have had some amazing dads. Some of you, I just even say the word and you cringe. I'm sorry, I am. Because one of the privileges that human dads have is to be able to walk with God so they might reflect what our Heavenly Father looks like. That we can see how gracious our Heavenly Father is because our earthly father is gracious. And we can see how loving our Heavenly Father is is because our earthly father loves us and forgives us and provides for us and protects us. That's what earthly fathers ought to do, but they're not perfect. I know that. And so I'm not sure where all of you land here, but I'm going to keep talking about our Heavenly Father who is an amazing, amazing, amazing Father. Now, fathers make a lot of promises over life, don't they? Don't they? And oftentimes you hear what you want to hear anyway, you know, like, man, I can't wait till you drive, and you hear, whoa, I can't wait to buy you a car. I don't know how you get that translation in there, but, but that's often what you hear, you know. And God says, I am going to take care of you. And I am all-powerful. No dad can say that. I am all-wise. No dad can say that. I am always present. No dad can say that, and you don't want him around all the time. But you want this father around all the time, don't you? No, no one else is like this dad. 
You know, we have much to worry about in life. If people tell you that life gets better, hmm, maybe one day out of the week, I don't know, life gets more challenging. Life gets more difficult. Life gets harder to navigate. There's so many different things that kind of blur our but we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to be anxious about it because our dad has our back. This dad is different than any other dad. Peter says this, continually casting all your anxieties on him frees a person from constant concern for himself in enabling him or her to be truly concerned for the needs of others. If you and I really know we are going to be taken care of, all of a sudden you're more generous. I'm just letting you know. I'm not saying being idiotic but you're more generous. You're more loving. If you don't have to fix everyone, that's not your job. Whoa. God, I'm going to care for people differently because I know you got my back. You are going to take care of me. You know, to cast means to throw something upon someone. And I got to be honest, Peter did not live kind of in a bubble. He knew the scriptures. He spent time with the Almighty on the planet at least three years. I'm sure Jesus was an amazing teacher because wherever he went, just crowd showed up. So get this, all the time, Peter got to hear, I bet Jesus talked about Psalm 55, 22 at one time. And Psalm 52, 22 says this, Give your burdens to the Lord, and He will take care of you. Whoa, it's in the Old Testament too, Rick? Like, God's... Hey, it's the same God! God desires deeply to care for His kids, just like dads want to. So Peter exhorts believers to keep throwing on the Lord all their concerns. Well, wait. I I need to keep some concerns. Well, who needs an ulcer? You know, well, I'd like to worry about this a little more because I I, I don't want to sleep at night. And I want to be concerned about this over here because I'm going to get sick. And I love going to the doctor. Eh. Hey folks, I know that there aren't, some of you are walking through hard times. I am not trying to even make fun of of some band-aids or or putting a band-aid on something very, very major. I mean, some of you look at life-threatening things. I, I get that. But whether it's a Skinner or it's cancer, The advice from our good, good father is exactly the same. You take it and toss it on me. Let me take care of this. Let me take care of this. So what he's saying, listen to this. Throw all your discontentment 
discouragement, despair, your pain, your suffering, whatever trials you're encountering. Because we can trust His love, His faithfulness, His power, His wisdom, His presence in our life. Really? That's what I'm going to do? I'm just going to trust. This is what you're telling me? Don't worry. Trust God. Actually, I'm not telling you that. Because if I was telling you and it wasn't true, I'd, I'd be in a pickle. This is God. This is God saying, this is how you do it. Now, Let's look at worry from Christ's perspective. And I do need to give you just a little bit of context here. You know, the Jews had waited a long time for the arrival of the Messiah, the Anointed One. This was the person that was going to come and make everything right. Everyone was going to be treated well. There was going to be food on every table. There was going to be safety from all the enemies. And and we knew that the Messiah was going to come, or the Jews did. But the Jews were looking for a powerful, just, and righteous king. A a savior, a redeemer. And then our head's going, okay, yeah, okay, I, I get it. But they were looking more in the political arena. They wanted to be saved from the evil Rome at this time. Although they they had quite the history of people they needed to be saved from. Evil rulers and governments. Well, their loving and humble king did arrive. But they didn't recognize him. Jesus didn't resemble the political leader that Israel was hoping for. So at about 30 years old, Jesus started his public ministry, and he began to preach this. Very odd, if if you think about it. Repent of your sins. Turn to God, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's in some of your versions. Sometimes it might be the kingdom of God is near. Other translations might say the kingdom of God is available. Some might say it has come. Others might say it has arrived. But what Jesus is saying, he's saying, there is some unbelievably good news, and I'm going to start off with this. Repent of your sins. Turn to God because God reigns right now. The kingdom of God is here. That was good news then and it still is good news for each one of us. But Jesus ushered in the kingdom one like no one had experienced before. Now one of Jesus' chores, if we want to call it, or tasks or responsibilities, in the very beginning stages of his ministry, he wanted to make sure two things happened. So very early in his ministry, he let people know that he was the Messiah. If you want, you can mark this down or turn there, but in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, Jesus comes to his hometown of Nazareth. And as his custom, he went to the synagogue. And when he went to the synagogue, there would be a scripture reading. And they would take a scroll. And they would open up the scroll and somebody in authority would read this scroll. They would either sit down at that time or maybe explain something or maybe even pray. 
So Jesus went to his hometown. He had already had a little bit of a reputation. He said, hey, Jesus, why don't you read the scripture today? So Jesus reads from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. But it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 4. And this is what he reads in front of everyone in Nazareth. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This was a messianic prophecy. So after Jesus reads from Isaiah 61, he shuts the scroll and said, Today this is filled, uh, fulfilled right here, right now. And everybody gasped. They lost it. Hey, wait a minute, Jesus. You're a carpenter. I know your mom and your dad. I know your brothers and your sisters. What are you saying? You're the Messiah? He says, absolutely. He says, that's who I am. I have come to let people know the good news. To release the captives. To help the blind see and the oppressed set free. You see, life in the kingdom of God is not oppressive. Then he gave his longest recorded sermon where he taught about the kingdom. Very early in, in, in this all happened in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Let's read that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it, is, it is Christ's longest sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. All right. But on the Sermon on the Mount, what he did is change all the price tags. He redefined what the kingdom is. He wanted people to understand when God reigns and rules, things look different. Now, you're expecting a political king. I've come to be able to give you life, abundant life. He's redefined strength and power and success and clarified what life looks like living underneath the reign and the rule of God. In the first 10 verses, we call it the Beatitudes, but he changes all the price tags. He starts off and he says, hey, you're going to be blessed or fulfilled or happy or satisfied if you depend on God more than yourself. Whoa, no one's ever taught that before. Hey, if you mourn over your sin... Uh, no, no, no. We, we don't do that around here. Strong men especially do not mourn over their sin. Hey, if you're humble and merciful, are, are you telling me, God, that, that these are the kingdom patriots? Yeah. If you live holy and pure lives, if you work for peace, if you're persecuted for wearing the Jesus jersey, these are kingdom patriots. Oh, now Jesus also knew later on in that sermon that his kids would worry and be concerned about providing for their families. And so he addresses money and possessions and worry in the middle of his 25-point sermon, which covers three chapters in the Bible. But if you want to look there, it's Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to read, starting at verse 25. 
But right in this section, Jesus is really shouting. He's just saying this. He's saying, you know, I just want you to understand this. Don't store up treasures in heaven. Excuse me. Don't store up treasures on earth. Store them up in heaven. Everyone else is worried about today. Everyone else is worried about themselves. I want you to be worried about the future. All right? And so he's changing again how they think or the cultural values. And then he says this, verse 25. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whoa, Jesus, you said this? I do not have to worry. I don't have to be concerned. I don't have to fret. He goes, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more important than food and your body more important than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't they more valuable to Him than you are? You just stop right there. This is a great Sunday school lesson for little kids. But you know what? When you're 42 years old and you lost your job, this is a stupid story. Is it? Does God actually care for you like he cares for the birds? Or doesn't he? That's what he said. That's what he said. I didn't say this. And then verse 31. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things, look at this, dominate the thoughts of unbelievers or those far from God. For your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Then he says this. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. No one has ever experienced a king like this before. Jesus has given some brand new perspective. He says in light of this, what I want you to do, don't worry about everyday life. I want you to pursue what is best for the kingdom of God above all else. I want you to live righteously. That means stay connected with God. And the king will give you everything you need. You can take it to the bank. Well, uh, God doesn't really know my needs. Yes, he does know your needs. He knows my needs. Now, I'm pretty sure he doesn't know your wants. But he certainly knows your needs. And the principle here, the kingdom principle is, hey, it's not about you. Don't worry about you. Pursue, go after what's important in the kingdom. Make sure that you stay connected with me. Boom! You're going to be taken care of. Is that cool? Is that amazing? So what does casting all your care on him look like today? Now I'm hoping I won't meddle too much, but I'm going to go ahead. What happens if you have a $254,000 hospital bill and you have no money? But somehow it evaporates and you end up owing $6,000. What happens if you just graduate high school but you want to go into the ministry? 
You have no money. Folks aren't supportive. And you miraculously and mysteriously get a four-year full scholarship to University of Richmond. What happens if you're at the crossroads and you just finished your freshman year in college um, and you have a, ba- a chance to play basketball or you've been offered a youth pastor position at your home church? What happens if you are just really passionate about God? It's been a couple years now that you've been out of college. You've listened to God. You've understood who God is. You've trusted God. But you're starting to wonder, God, is there really a shining night out there? Because I think I might need to settle. I don't want to be alone all my life, and I just might need to settle. And I mean, hey, you know, if he's a good guy... Maybe, you know, we can just get to know each other. A decision like that will affect generations of people. And usually in a negative way. No, seek first God's kingdom. Listen to me. God, you are wise. What happens if you take a job with less benefits so you can serve your family and others better? You've chosen to do that. What happens if you decide to work at camp but you suffer the consequences with all of your high school coaches because they expect you to be in the summer leagues? You know, life is busy. It is. But you feel it's right to serve in VBS. But that's really long. That's every single day. That's an hour, two and a half hours. And these kids are crazy. And they don't respect it. But maybe it's the right thing to do. Or maybe the right thing to do is to get as many neighborhood kids here as you can because you know that every kid that walks into this building this next week is being prayed for and will be shared the gospel and will be encouraged to love God with all of their heart. And it can change them and families and generations. So maybe even on Father's Day, it's a little inconvenient, but maybe you start getting on the phone and you start visiting some neighbors and you start encouraging people to come with you. Maybe you've been saving for a vacation. But, but God has pricked your heart about sending some funds to Abba House. Well, God, what about me? I need the beach. <laughs> it, it's just very important. And I'm not saying you don't. I'm just saying maybe God's moving something. Maybe you have two weeks vacation. And you want to go on the mission trip, but holy schmoly, you know, going to Haiti for a week, that's not vacation. And this could go on and on and on. Because we usually take care of ourselves first. When God 
through the Apostle Peter said, stay connected with me and keep asking yourself, what will be best for the kingdom? God will take care of the rest. That's it. What is best for the kingdom? And I will take care of you. So, let's humble ourselves and trust God and enjoy the journey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your grace in our lives. Lord, um, none of us can quite understand all that you are and how much you really love and desire to care for us. Some of us haven't seen any miracles because honestly we quite haven't trusted you for the miracles. We love our control and we love to make sure that we just are safe and comfortable. And yet, I sense God that even today, We need to trust you to take care of us. We need to listen to you. We need to respond to you. Oh God, please, raise up a generation of men and women who love you with all their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.